Bible, friends, I wonder if you'll turn with me for a little time this morning to uh, Revelation chapter 2, verses, uh, and I'm going to read verses 1 to 7. Revelation 2, 1 to 7. Just as you're finding it, here's our late autumn Sunday morning series, which we launched last Sunday, we're in Revelation 1. And uh, we were really reminding ourselves last week of what sort of Jesus do we serve? Some people think Jesus is a baby. I'm not going to, don't worry, I'm not going to go there again this week. Sorry, Roy, you missed it. But um, some people think that he's just a good man. Some people think he's a prophet. But Peter got it right by revelation when saying, you're the Christ, you're son of the living God. That changes everything. And friends, our saviour is not just a good man. He's not just someone that we remember who we serve. And we need to run to that Jesus and we need to proclaim that Jesus in church in these days. The ruling, reigning, majestic, wonderful Jesus Christ. And here we find in the opening chapters of Revelation that Jesus has something to say to seven churches, seven literal churches in western Turkey in around about a 200 square mile radius. He had something to communicate with them. We talked last week about the power of communication, the revolution of communication, even in our own lifetimes. But in those days, even until fairly recently in our days, people communicated by letter. And so Jesus sends a letter. He uses the go-between John, the beloved apostle, to deliver it to the churches but this mail doesn't come from earth, it comes from heaven, hence H mail, not E. And Jesus has something to speak to people about. The genius of the scriptures is that here we are 2,000 years later, there's a guy called Phil standing in front of Arena Church, Ilkeston, on a cold October morning in 2010, and the Bible still has something to say to us about this message. And simply this morning, friends, the word is called first love and it will become apparent as we go through it. Revelation 2 and verse 1 to the angel of the church in Ephesus writes, These are the words of him, Jesus, who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks amongst the seven golden lampstands. I know your deeds, your hard work and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked men, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not and have found them to be false. You have persevered and endured hardship for my name and have not grown weary. Yet I hold this against you. You've forsaken your first love. Remember the height from which you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. But you have this in your favor. You have hated the practices of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give the right to hear from the tree of life, which is the paradise or garden of God. True love. And one commentator described this particular letter to the church at Ephesus as searching correspondence. And I think we'll find it similarly this morning. Ephesus was not the capital of this region. That was Pergamon. But it was the place that all roads led to. It was known as the market of Asia. It was one of the largest cities in the known world at that time. And it faced many, many challenges. And we get a picture of Ephesus as we read the New Testament. We see in Acts chapter 19 a city that is full of idolatry. And what stood tall over that city was the 
temple to the goddess Diana or Artemis, whatever translation you read, and it's the same goddess. And thousands of people would flock to that temple and pay lots of money to worship at a false god. And also it was a city full of immorality. It was a crossroads between Asia and Europe. It was a place of transportation links. It was a place where men would come uh, for, for the wrong reasons. It was a place where women were exploited. To that backcloth, God moved in an amazing way. We'll come back to that in a moment. Acts chapter 19, there's a transformation in the community because of the power of the good news of Jesus Forgive me for being naive, friends, but I still believe it can happen today. I still believe in the power of the good news of Jesus. Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, because it's the power of God unto salvation. And as we look at some of the communities around us at times, we need to continue to believe that the good news of Jesus can infiltrate those communities and bring change. Not only idolatry, not only immorality, but the there was a real ministry in this place. The church began to emerge. And we read in Acts chapter 19 that that church that had probably been planted by Aquila and Priscilla was visited by Paul on his third missionary journey. And Paul loved Ephesus. And he stayed at Ephesus longer than any other place on all of his apostolic travels. He began to teach the word, and we'll come to that again in a moment or two. He began to declare the gospel. He began to minister in the power of God. He says that in Ephesus, extraordinary miracles were done. Well, a miracle is a miracle is a miracle, isn't it? But if it's an extraordinary miracle, it must have been really good. Extraordinary miracles were done. People would bring handkerchiefs. Uh, from sick people, they would pray for them, they would take them back to the person that was sick, they were healed. Now I know people have tried to make a doctrine about that, send you $25 with your handkerchief and all will be well. We know all that, you know, and I think we're big enough to see through it. But the reality is, friends, God was moving in an amazing way. It caused a kerfuffle in, in the community particularly amongst the union of the silversmiths, because they were earning a lot of money by people buying from them to take various trinkets of worship to the temple. When these people began to change and become Christians, their trade dried up. And so you can read that there was almost a riot caused through the ministry of the gospel, a riot in a good way. But things were happening in the community. Then we find later on, about 30 years after that, Paul writes to the church. He's established elders. He writes to them. He ministers to them. He shares with them. And we've got the book of Ephesians in the middle part of the New Testament. An amazing book. And here we find ourselves now in Revelation chapter 2. Towards the end of the first century, about AD 95, John on the Isle of Patmos in exile, being the goal between, between heaven and the church. And this letter communicates to this church that has known an amazing history in God. And Jesus has something to say to the church, friends. And I think that the lesson of this church is such a powerful one for any Christian community, however it expresses itself today, and we realize that styles and expressions can be different but any prevailing advancing christian community needs to, needs to take note of these words because if we ignore them we actually ignore them at our peril 
So what about, first of all, the successes of the church? It's good when you receive a letter for people to put nice things, isn't it? Isn't it? And the successes of the church. And if you read these seven letters, you'll, f- you'll find that Jesus never failed to commend the Christian believers for all the good things that were taking place. You may not write now, but how about texting somebody this week say, I think you're great. I think what you're doing is fantastic. How about saying to somebody that's close to you in your family circle this week, I love you. Maybe a long time since you've said it. Maybe cheering somebody on that's doing something that nobody else is noticing in the church, but you noticed it. In other words, we're continually doing what Jesus did. We're encouraging people, we're empowering people, we're cheering people on to be all that God wants them to be. What were some of the successes of this church? Well, firstly, friends, they were industrious. He says in verse 2 that Jesus says, I know your deeds and your hard work. Deeds and hard work. Paul writing to the church in Thessalonica says, I commend you for your labor of love. Now we've got to get a balance here because we can't work to bring down the blessing of God. But the blessing of God will need people that commit themselves to work. We can't do it through dead works. We can't do it simply with the arm of flesh. That will achieve nothing. But the reality is, friends, that if revival comes to this church, it's going to need work. He's going to need people to respond and to commit and to serve like it's happening all over the church at the moment. Kids' church doesn't just happen. The worship band just doesn't happen. The ministry of the word just doesn't happen. All those unobtrusive things that take place to make this building beautiful and ready to welcome people on a Sunday doesn't just happen. It entails work. And they were commended for their industry. Not only for their industry, but also for their perseverance. Because he says, you have persevered and endured hardship for my name and have not grown weary. It may be that you've come to church this morning and the thing that's ringing in your ears is, I I don't know whether I can actually continue. I feel like giving up. And here's where it goes wrong because then you, it's an amazing guilt trip to think, you know, I must be the only Christian that's ever thought about giving up. I'm going to let you into a secret. Everybody has. Everybody has. We've all gone through situations, friends, where we thought that we couldn't carry on. And there was something that spoke to us and said, it's not worth it. You might as well give up. And this church went through hardship for Jesus' name. We don't know what it was, but it went through hardship. There were people that opposed it, stood against it. I remember Bobby Houston Listening to Bobby Houston some time ago, the, the wife of Brian, and she just reminded, she said, look, if you think everybody in Sydney loves Hillsong, I need to let you know that that's not the case. They have to go through opposition simply for the cause of Jesus. These people were perseverant. And the Bible tells us in Galatians 6 and verse 9 that if we will not give up, we will reap a harvest in due time you can apply that to your individual life and you can apply it to the life of the community of believers and here's how it works friends remember that he wants to stop us even before we started going back to ministry some time ago but if you press through that here's the next thing that takes place 
on the very edge of you moving into the harvest that God has designed and destined for your life, another chance comes for you to press back from that. Almost at the 11th hour to say, I'll give up. But if you will continue, if you will not grow weary, if you will press through in what God has called you to do, harvest is inevitable. They were watchful. Verse 2 says there were people that came to the church that claimed to be apostles, and they weren't. Nothing's changed. You've got people trawling around the world, friends, calling themselves apostle this and apostle that. The reality is we need apostles. This church believes in apostolic ministry. We invite people at times that come and carry an apostolic anointing. I don't have time to unpack that this morning in terms of what it is. If you come to the ministry in Equipus over the next few weeks that starts a week on Tuesday, I will explain it to you. What an apostle is. It's one of the things we're going to do. But friends, we need to recognize that they've got to be true. We can't have people coming through just because they give themselves a title. And so this church was watchful. Remember in Acts chapter 20, when Paul had spoken to the Ephesian elders, he said, you need to watch yourself and the flock of God, because there are those that will come in like savage wolves seeking to tear the flock apart. They'd done that. They were watchful. Number four, they were uncompromising, because it says that they hated the works of the Nicolaitans just the same as Jesus did. Who were the Nicolaitans? Well, they were religious cult friends that were lax on morality and strong on hierarchy. And that is always a hallmark of cultism. And the reality is that sometimes people dress up what they're doing as Christian, but actually it's cultic. And it's like an oil and water mix. It'll never come together. They were uncompromising in pushing back on people that weren't true to the teachings of Jesus. What a church. Doctrinally sound morally strong, hard-working and committed. What a church. Doctrine mixed with deeds, belief engaging behavior, all the things that you'd say, you need to look at that church. That's the church. And the reality was, it was a really, really good church. But verse 4. H-mail from Jesus. Yet I hold this against you you've forsaken your first love you've forsaken your first love what a shock what a rebuke you see not only the successes of the church but now Jesus highlights the shortcoming of the church you've forsaken your first love within all that was good a passionate fervent first love for Jesus have been diluted and this is the challenge friends to every Christian community of believers today you will note from the scriptures that Jesus was not saying that these people had no love but from the original language of the New Testament it is emphasizing that they didn't love Jesus as they loved him before. Commentators have spent time wanting to know where this first love applies. Is it to Christ? Is it to believers? Is it to the world? It seems to me, friends, that all three interconnect with each other. When we love Jesus with a passion, 
It's pretty easy to love the church. And if we love the church, we want to love the world and see people changed and come into him. And here's the truth. Here's the challenge. Here's the thing that I want you to think about over the next few minutes of the ministry this morning. I want us friends to be impassioned, to be all that God's intended us to be. But here's the challenge to Arena Church as we go forward. We must continually live in a first love response to Jesus. And the longer the church has been around, the greater the challenge that it becomes. See, if a church has been planted two or three years, it's still in that first flush of starting. But there's been a church in various forms and expressions that we'd call the Assemblies of God Church in Ilkeston under various names in various locations in this town since 1929. A lot of history. A lot of people come through, a lot of people saved, a lot of ministry. We've been very deliberate in some of the repurposing journeys that we've gone through over the last two or three years to be honouring of the past. The privilege of being in the present and looking forward to the future is always on the basis of people that have served faithfully in the past. But we cannot live there. And the great tendency of the Christian church is to want to dwell. To want to stay at a place that they thought could never be bettered. Perhaps to want to stay at the place when you first became a Christian. No, you've got to move on. And friends, we need to recognize that God is drawing us continually and increasingly not to look back in history, thank God for the past, but to be in the present to ask, Lord, if I've been a Christian five minutes, five months, five years or 50 years, am I living in relationship with you that could be determined as a first love relationship? Is the church that we belong to living in what we could determine as a first love relationship to Jesus? In other words, friends, it's just like we've pitched up. It's just like we've started. It's just like we've got saved. And we've got a little bit more about us, a little bit more maturity, a little bit more know-how, a little bit more teaching. But it's almost like we've just got going. That's the sort of church that God's impassioned about. You see, what does first love look like? Well, we need to go back to Acts chapter 19 and it'll tell us. First love, first of all, as a humble submission to God's purposes. Because in Acts chapter 19, we find that Paul arrives in Ephesus. And hear me this morning, I'm not making a point about the particular truth here. I'm talking more to the wider principle. Please hear me, don't, don't give me pushback on the particular truth. It's the truth that in this particular church we're impassioned about. We make no apology for it, but it's not the point I'm making. But Paul comes to these believers and says, have you received the Holy Spirit since you believed? The baptism, the fullness of the Spirit. So we don't know what you're talking about. We know about John's baptism, but we haven't got a clue what you're talking about. And so Paul began to speak to this small group of men. And he says that he placed his hands upon them and the Holy Spirit came on them. And they spoke in tongues and prophesied. There were 12 in all. This little band of 12 became the catalyst for the greater move of God that spread out into the city. And first love discipleship said, if God is speaking something over my life regarding his purposes, I want to respond. If you move away from first love, here's how it happens. God speaks to you. And then you enter into a debating chamber with God. 
And sometimes it literally can take years for you to find out that he was right all the way along. And the more that you've gone this way, the more other people have gone this way in first love. And sometimes when you look over your shoulder and want to get back to where you think that you ought to be, it's almost, almost as if the chasm has become too great. I think one of the frustrations sometimes, friends, is that some of us have spent time debating with God rather than yielding to God. Let me just say for a moment this morning that we're believing passionately that people need to receive the fullness of the Holy Spirit. If you've never received that, it's for you. You need to be baptized in water. If you've never been baptized in water, it's for you. You need to belong to a local church. If you don't belong to a local church, it's for you. These things are not up for debate, friends. They are. This is the word of the Lord. And first love, obedience, says if God said it, I'm responding to it. And I really want to encourage you not to be people that live in a debating chamber with God. Because I tell you, friends, he's going to win. Here's how it works with me. God speaks to my life. He pinpoints something. It may not be something really, but he pinpoints something. I can have a tendency sometimes to say, yeah, that was great, God. But I know that I've got off my knees or walked away from my prayer time thinking about it. And also thinking that the next time I pray, God's forgotten. Do you know what's first on the agenda? The last thing he spoke about. The last thing he spoke about. And the reality is, friends, I'm going no further in my faith until out of first love relationship with Jesus, I say, you're right. And therefore, I yield to what you want for my life. That's being a Christian. And I was talking in another context yesterday. There were too many Christians that are forever fighting God. Paul, uh, David talks about a humble or a submissive heart. They're forever in a scrap with God. They're ever, ever, forever at a distance, keeping him a distance. But Christianity is embracing God. He's drawing close to him. He's loving him, saying, God, I know that you've got my best interest at heart. And these people were blessed. Number two, first love has a hunger for God's word, verses 9 to 10. Paul was there in the city for two years, preaching, teaching, ministering the word. And we've tried very deliberately in Arena Church over the last three or four years to encourage people to regularly minister, uh, feed on the word. It's not just about Sunday friends. It's about empowering us to love the word Monday to Saturday as well. Whatever it is for you. We may have somebody stand up and say, I'm going to read the Bible right through in 2011. That's great. But you can't put it on everybody because for somebody else it may be a journey of 10 verses a day. And whatever it is, because we're all at different stages. But first love responds to the word of God. It says, as Billy Graham once said, God said it, I believe it, that settles it. First love yields to the word of God in our lives. First love renounces all things idolatrous, verses 18 to 20. Now you might have said, I know you said last week that although this was written 2,000 years ago, it's got relevance to now, but now you've really lost the plot. Because if you think that, you know, we suffer from idolatry in the United Kingdom in 2010, then you must be crazy. Hello? If you don't think this nation, friends, has put all sorts of things in place of God and therefore is idolatrous, I don't know where you're looking. There's cathedrals all around us today that are drawing people's attention. They're called Ikea. And McDonald 
roads. And that place at Junction 28, they're all over the place. People would rather be here than here, there than here. Putting God first. And so God began to speak. And when God began to speak, people's lives were changed. He says in verse 18, that these words, it says, Many of those who believed now openly confessed their evil deeds. And a number who had practiced sorcery brought their skulls together and burned them publicly. When they calculated the value of the scrolls, it amounted to 50,000 drachma. In this way, the word of the Lord spread and grew in power. Now, some of you may have in your margin at the bottom of your Bible that a drachma, one drachma, is equivalent to a day's wages. So, a day's wages. So, these people came to Jesus. They realized that they were putting other things before Jesus, particularly in terms of their attendance at the temple of Diana. They were so impassioned with their first love for Jesus that a huge bonfire, it's an appropriate time of the year to be talking about bonfires, that a huge bonfire, and they put 50,000 days' work on the bonfire in worship and response and repentance to Jesus. Now, this week, friends, I was told that I've got to work till 66. Thank you. All right. He's added another year on. Just missed it. He's added another year on. But the reality is that if I worked from 16 to 66, it wouldn't even scratch at 50,000 days' work. It's more like 160 years of work on the fire. Because first love says, Jesus... You come first. Yeah, but what's that got to do with me? Little verse at the end of 1 John chapter 5 that says, Little children, keep yourselves from idols. And I'm going to give you the quote from the Amplified Bible. Now, I don't often quote from the Amplified Bible because very, very quickly a 30 to 35 minute message would become 45 or 50 minutes. It amplifies everything. You know. But it's a great little Bible for reference. This is what this verse says. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. Ohms a bracket. It then explains what an idol is. An idol is anything or everything that would occupy the place in your heart due to God. It is any substitute that would take first place in your heart life we're not talking about sin here we're talking about things that are more important to you than what Jesus is and first love response says Jesus you're coming first and friends I've been on this journey when I've got before God and God said that yeah nothing wrong with it but you know as well as I do that it always comes before me it's an idol you need to deal with it. The first love response to God says, God, you are always going to be on the throne of my life. And the last thing is that first love response always expresses its love to others. If you go to chapter 20, you'll find a rendezvous point at, at, at Miletus between the Apostle Paul and the Ephesian elders. It was the last time they were going to see each other on this earth. 
And at the end of Paul encouraging them, it says they embraced each other, they wept and cried because this was the last time they were going to be together before eternity. They had an incredible compassion for each other. First love discipleship, friends, loves the community of believers. It loves new people to come to church. It loves boys and girls and young people being around the life of the church. It loves seeing people change. It loves seeing the prodigal restored. It loves seeing people healed. It loves seeing people grow in discipleship. It can't do anything else. Because it expresses the very heart of Jesus himself. And he so loved the church that he gave himself for it. And this morning, friends, it may be that you're on the journey to first love commitment. You've been coming to church, you've been pondering your questions, but today's the day for you to jump in. Yes! I've decided to follow Jesus, and there's no turning back. But what if you've been a believer five weeks, five months, five years, 50 years? I wonder this morning if you skipped to church. Or whether you like lead booze. Good grief. Wonder who's on this morning. I wonder if when God speaks to you in the quietness of your heart, the answer's always yes. Or whether it's determined by how you want to live your life. I wonder, friends, if in first love experience to God... We've addressed the issues of who really comes first. I wonder if God has continued to touch us to reach out to a needy, broken world. The reality is that every church and every community of believers needs, on occasions, to take opportunity to run to these verses again. and say, Jesus, we want to live with a first love. Kerry's giving the magazine out. This after, or rather not giving it out, I wish she was, it cost me two pounds. But anyway, she's giving the magazine, and um, it's called Re. The prefix Re is a prophetic statement to the church in these days. It's about another look. It's another look. And we continually need those occasions where we'll take another look. Jesus got Peter to have another look at his life post the resurrection. He says, Peter, do you love me more than these? Whatever these were. Peter says, Lord, you know that I love you. First love response to God. So the successes of the church, the shortcomings of the church, and finally as I close, what was the solution for the church? It was two things. Remember the height from which you've fallen and repent and do the things that you first did. I'm really sorry that repentance has been camped at just becoming a believer. Repent and be belief. Repentance, friends, is part of discipleship. It's part of growing. We all need to never be afraid to come to a place of repentance. It's a change of mind that leads to a change of action. It's God showing us things, revealing things in our lives that need to be addressed and approached where we will take appropriate action to do what he wants us to do. That's repentance. And he says you need to remember from where you've fallen and repent. Or else, what happens if churches don't repent? Well, the salutary, somber word from Revelation is this. Jesus said, I'll remove the lampstands. And if you go back to chapter 1, the lampstand was the church. Why is it, friends, that in driving to church this morning, some of us have gone past churches that are now carpet warehouses? 
Some of us have gone past churches that are now Muslim uh, uh, mosques and Hindu temples. Why is it? Why is it? Well, there's all sorts of reasons. All sorts of reasons. Great historical churches. Churches that serve community. I was in a church yesterday in inner city Sheffield that has been completely repurposed as a Pentecostal community that meets there now. But when it was first built by the Methodist Church in inner city Sheffield in 1839, its seating capacity was 839 people and they used to fill it every Sunday. What happens? Please hear me, I'm not bagging the Methodists. It's because somewhere down the line, individuals and churches moved away from first love. And he that has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the church. They stop listening. And Jesus went this way. And they went that way. And the eventuality was that the carpet man paid for it. It's no longer a church. I'm not negative about that, friends, because Jesus will build his church. He'll always find where there's open containers to receive what he wants to do. It's nothing to do with denominational name, the fact of however we label ourselves this morning, Pentecostal, charismatic, spirit-filled, the challenge is no less to us than anybody else. This historic denomination has been around nearly 90 years. It needs to look at first love. It needs to look at itself and recognize that it needs to live there. But for those that overcome, Jesus says, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life. He uses symbolism there. It was thought that the temple of Diana in Ephesus had been built on the site of something associated with a sacred tree. Jesus said, forget all that. If you'll come and feed from me, you'll live in the garden of life forever. I'm going to close with a reading from a book that I read just this week that speaks about the power of love at work in our lives. It's about a man called Carlos who works in the desert of North Africa with Muslim people out of a call in his heart as a Christian believer to go and do exactly that. And he also draws into the conversation a friend of his, Paul, who similarly works in this missional context. I'll read it to you and it becomes self-explanatory. He says, Carlos has lived amongst the Muslims in North Africa for 10 years within a Christian community. He wrote about how one day he was traveling by camel to the Sahara Desert and came upon 50 men laboring in the hot sun to repair a road. When Carlos offered them water, to his surprise, he saw his friend Paul, another member of that Christian community, with them. Paul had been an engineer in Paris, working for the government, but God had called him to leave everything and become a brother in North Africa. At one point, Paul's mother had met with Carlos And she said to him, Carlos, I made my son an engineer. Why can't he be an intellectual in the church? Wouldn't that be more useful? But Paul was content to pray and to disappear for Christ into the Sahara Desert. And Carlos then went on to ask himself, what is my place in the great evangelizing work of the church? And he answers his own question. My place was there amongst the poor. Others would have the task of building, feeding, preaching. But the Lord asked me to be a poor man amongst the poor, a worker amongst the workers. It is difficult to judge others. 
But to one truth we must cling desperately. It is to love. You see, it is love that justifies our actions. Love must initiate all that we do. If out of love, Brother Paul had chosen to die on the desert road, then he is justified. If out of love, others build schools and hospitals, they are justified. If out of love, scholars spend time with books, they are justified. The Lord asked me to be a poor man among the poor. A worker amongst the workers. And I can only say, live love. Let love invade you. It will never fail to teach you what you must do. A man that lives in the backside of the Sahara Desert amongst the poor with a first love to Jesus. We've closed, but not quite. Because this morning we're going to finish the service in a slightly unusual sort of way. And rather than inviting the worship band that have done a brilliant job for us again this morning at the beginning of both services. We're going to listen to a song. It's four minutes. And I'd really encourage you, friends, to sit tight, not to be the first in the TQ. I know you want to pay a fiver for a cake, but if you'll just hold steady for a moment. This is an old hymn with a new arrangement. I like close harmony singing. But more than that, I just want the Holy Spirit over the next four minutes to search your heart, search my heart. Driving down from this morning what we heard from the H-mail from Jesus regarding the church at Ephesus. Thank God, friends, for all the successes of the church. Thank God for everything that's taken a place around the life of Arena. But there are times, personally and collectively, where we need to say, do we love him with a first love? Can God say anything to me today? And the answer is yes. Am I hungry for his words? Do I renounce anything that gets in the way of him that's actually an idol? And I know it is. Do I express love to my brothers and sisters? And if necessary... Do I need to remember where I've fallen from and repent and do the things that I did at the first? You see, for some people, it'd be nothing more than a fresh passion to do sandwiches for one of the busy days at church, to collect the chairs. But there may be somebody around this room this morning that's going to be sent into anonymity to minister to an unreached people group. Why? Because I first love. There may be an evangelist that's going to arise amongst our church that's going to win thousands because of first love. There may be somebody that's going to connect with people that at the moment can't connect with us because of first love. I don't know. But friends, the message and the privilege of sharing the message this morning is because it's been self-applied. And God searched my heart again this this week. I've been a Christian a fairly long period of time now. I've been in ministry. I've seen all the hoops and been around the block several times. And I want to live with first love. I trust you do too. Let's sit tight. Four minutes of the song.